Welcome to Still Dead from Chipperish Media. I'm researcher and something ancient and evil dressed like a girl, Dr. Kelly Jones. <laughs> and I'm story expert and woman whose bed Wesley will be crawling into at the end of the day, Lonnie Diane Rich. <laughs> <laughs> and we're here today to talk about Angel, Season 4, Episodes 7 and 8, Apocalypse Nowish, and Habeas Corpses, both of which are Watchers. Now, there's a chance that we said they were skippers because of a clerical error that is a side effect of any good apocalypse, but these are, in fact, both watchers, although we're very, 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 very sorry that you need to watch them. Yes. <laughs> Just an FYI, we're going to be doing a spoiler section at the end of this episode because these episodes make very little sense without that context of the overall season. So if you haven't seen the whole run of Angel, just turn off the episode when you hear our standard outro. When you hear that music at the end of the episode, just go ahead and skip over to the next thing on your podcast list. But those of you who want to hear us talk about this episode in context of the stuff that happens, <laughs> hang out after the music. Okay, the sky should not be made of fire. So let's raise the stakes. Apocalypse Nowish, Lauren wants to bring Cordy back to help them figure out what's going on, but Angel wants to give her time. Meanwhile, the phones are ringing off the hook as all of Los Angeles is experiencing plagues. Rats, birds, bugs, whatever. Fred and Gunn can't get far enough past murdering Dr. Seidel in order to talk to each other, and Lila has figured out the key to Wesley's heart, role-playing as Fred. Cordelia is suffering with the memories of her vision, and Connor goes to get Angel to talk to her. He shows up and she says that when she was a higher being, she saw everything, including what he did as Angelus. And now she just can't be around him. She has a vision. She says the demon is coming. Angel has a visit with Lila and gets information, then heads back to the Hyperion where Wesley shows up to join the team in figuring out and fighting off whatever it is that's coming. Cordelia decides a leisurely stroll through town is the best way to battle the apocalypse blues, and she leads Connor straight to the spot where he was born. The cement cracks, the beast rises and beats them up, but leaves them alive. Gunn figures out the pattern in the information they got from Wolferman Hart, and they go to the location to find the beast standing on a rooftop surrounded by dead bodies arranged in a square. Everyone fights, the beast beats hell out of everyone, and asks Angel if Cordy is really safe with Connor before setting the bodies on fire. The sky goes dark while it rains fire, and the beast buggers off. At the squatter's pit, Cordy and Connor watch the fire, and Cordy puts the moves on Connor, and they have sex, and it's so, so gross, I can't watch. But that doesn't matter, because Angel can, and he does, from the rooftop across the street. Apocalypse Nowish aired on November 17, 2002. It was directed by Vern Gillum and written by Stephen S. DeKnight. Okay, Dr. Jones. <laughs> we are here in what some might call the nadir of season four, although I believe oh we God. it is going to get worse before it gets better. But mm -hmm. <laughs> so mm -hmm. what did you think about Apocalypse Nowish? Okay, so it was really funny because mm -hmm. I had no memory of this episode uh-huh i'm talking like powers that be higher being amnesia uh, right <laughs> so i think i either blocked it from the trauma of rats and dead birds or i blocked it from the trauma of cordelia seducing connor ugh. um yeah every oh, time oh, every ugh. time it's gonna be ugh. 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 Yeah. um so when i was trying to balance the points of that mm -hmm. like i just i couldn't think about it that hard so i gave it a two because 
There are some good and powerful and dark things in this episode, and Lila is amazing. Mm -hmm. And I even have some empathy for Connor here, but I can't stand watching Cordelia and Connor. I just can't. I had. I can't. I can't. Oh God, it's so bad. It's so bad. I give it a one. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm even yep. lower than you. I mean, while there are good moments in Apocalypse Now, as we've got the Wesley and Lila stuff, which is great. Angel tossing the crossbow to Wesley, yes. bringing it back into the fold. The Fred and Gun stuff is all good and angsty. There's Angel and Lila, which I particularly love. Um, the rest of it is basically an endless run of informative, gee, this is bad discussions, while the Beast is less than impressive and runs away when he has the opportunity to kill Cordy and Connor. So exactly how dangerous is this thing um cordy's nonsense is pure nonsense it's a sudden turn into apocalypse you're supposed to work that shit up for an entire season <laughs> so um yeah all of it just made me so grossed out and the the sex scene with cordy and connor which oh, we we're going God. to get to yeah. made me so grossed out i just couldn't with this episode so i gave it a one yeah, it was terrible. It was terrible. And I think because I skipped over that scene, I was able to give it a two. Oh, my God. <laughs> I, like, I had to close my eyes. And I did, too. Thing. Like, oh. I, I can't handle horror. You know, I can't handle mm -hmm. gore. I always close my eyes whenever somebody's getting hacked to bits or whatever. Unless it's a rape scene, I can usually watch a sex scene without necessarily having a problem. This, I was just as grossed out as when something like really gross and gory happens on the, yep. on the screen. Um, it was ugh, yeah, just awful. No, I, I watched it behind my, my hands over mm -hmm. my eyes. Like, I can't, I can't, I can't. Ugh, it's just was. <laughs> so anyway, I'm going to go ahead and get started on the moments of perfect happiness, such as they were. Um, <laughs> okay, so Wesley, first of all, big thing for me. You know, I love my Wesley. The mm -hmm. Wesley scenes are all great. Um, he comes in and, of course, there's Lila as Fred and it is both sick and adorable. Like, I love it and I hate it in a lot of ways, yeah. but it's really yes. great. <laughs> it is both sick and adorable. And and I was like, oh, my God, this is so wrong. And Lila, you should not lower yourself like this. Yes. But when she's sitting there in those glasses and those oh braids God. and she's like, I'm good and I'm pure and science turns me on. I and I was like, okay, stop. I love it. I love it. <laughs> Just that's just like, how can I find that so adorable and, and also I be like, no, hard no, enough no. and eat all my vegetables? I know. Oh my god, oh god. it know. is the best of everything. I absolutely love it. At the same time, I'm like Lila, don't degrade yourself. Right. You know, you are a hell of a woman. And when I, I say that, I mean a woman probably going to hell, but still a hell of a woman. <laughs> you know. Um, and then, but oh God, that moment at the end, though, where they're starting to have sex and he says, starts to take the glasses off and he says, no, leave them on. Yeah. Like that bothered me. That mm -hmm. was, that was tough. And, but it was yeah. good. It, like, was. it was really good. It was a great moment of, of character for both Lila and Wesley, but ouch. Oh, that ouch. Hurt. I mean, and it speaks to the truth that is between them you know yeah. she knows she knows his feelings for fred and he knows she knows yeah but uh yeah i was uh, like uh, I, I and and i think it's probably the only example or you know like lila in this role where we see lila intentionally mm -hmm. degrading herself right like she, this this is not something she would normally do and i don't see that as a violation of her character i see mm -hmm. that as she's you know with strength weaknesses and vulnerabilities yeah she's really vulnerable with leslie mm -hmm. yeah no and she absolutely is yeah 
So, but yeah, it was, it was both, I guess, kind of like intriguing and also really hard to watch because I ended up feeling really bad for Lila. I did too. And when Lila makes you feel bad for her, when Lila is vulnerable, shit's getting real. (laughs) (laughs) And that might be a sign of the apocalypse. It absolutely might be. I think it, I think it probably is. Um, but, you know, back to Wesley, of course, which is <laughs> always my number one favorite thing in any episode of Angel. Um, Wesley comes back into the fold in this episode. Like, I had forgotten because mm-hmm. there's so much stuff going on. And it's so crazy when he just walks in, you know, and is like, hey, apocalypse is coming. I'm choosing a side. Here I am. You know, yeah. um, he walks in and Gunn says, Fred's not here. And he says, didn't ask. And, and Gunn goes, didn't have to. Like, and there's that. I hate them fighting over a girl. OK, mm-hmm. I hate that. But I love that angst of like these guys used to be best friends, you know, yeah. and now they've got this thing between them. I hate that it's a woman, you know, but I mean, mm-hmm. like, I love that angstiness of it. Um, you know, I love that they're they're trying to figure out all this stuff. And it's Gunn who figures out what's going on when they have oh. all of the stuff. Yes, because I was in my notes. I was like, hell yes, Gunn is the one who figured it out because Gunn is fucking smart. Exactly. Gunn is smart. And I hate when they make the jokes that he's not smart. That drives me crazy. But um, but he's obviously clearly incredibly smart because he figures all of that stuff out, makes the map, does the thing. It's awesome. Um, I love when they're fighting. Right. And they're fighting the beast. And Wesley has like the Western two gun yeah, fighting. So and good. then when they're out of bullets, he pulls out the shotgun. And I was like, Wesley, <laughs> it's just it's just hot. I'm sorry. It's I so cannot hot. explain it any other way than that. But then at the end, they've all been beaten to shit. Right. And the, mm-hmm. the beast just buggers off because whatever. Right. You know. Um, and Wesley is holding Gun unconscious and bleeding, and he's got him moment. wrapped in his arms. And oh my god, like honestly, like the Wesley Fred thing is one thing, but the Wesley Gun relationship breaks my heart. It's so sweet. It was so well done, and Wesley is so great in that. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Wesley Wyndham Price, Indiana that's, Jones. Like it was so right. great. <laughs> and he can pull but, it off, which oh is god, insane. He can totally pull yeah. it off. But he's just as believable in that loving space with Gunn. And it's so great. Oh, God. I love, I mean, those two have such deep love for each other. And I mean, that's one of the things with Wesley is that Wesley's, all of Wesley's relationships are love stories. His his story with Gunn is a love story. His story with Angel is a love story. His story with Fred, you know, is is a romantic obsession story, <laughs> you know, maybe more than love at this point. Um, but it's just, it's so wonderful. And I just, it's so sad. And I'm so sad about him and Gunn not having what they once had. I mean, you remember they had their own little special handshake and everything. And their nicknames for each other. I know, I know. And so it was just like, for me, that was just like, and it's one of these things that in this episode you you know it there's so much terrible terrible truly awful bad 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 stuff happening in this episode um that the whole thing with wesley like this whole you know where he's choosing the side he's coming back he's back in the fold angel throws him the crossbow which i love that was so great oh god all of it it's just so great and it's really really easy to um to forget because the rest of the episode is such a you know big stupid smelly turd um oh yeah. god i know but like seriously i watched this as if i had never seen it before yeah i, can't, I, I was like what the hell is going on i i have blocked it 
or yeah. I just remembered that it was terrible because I've I've rewatched season four the least of yeah. all the seasons. Mm-hmm. But so it was kind of like watching it again for the first time. And the stuff that's good is so so good. It and the is stuff that's really bad. Good. It's just off the freaking short. It's so short. bad. It's, it's so, so bad. bad. But before we get to that, let's talk about Lila and Angel, right? Yes. Um, any scene with Lila and Angel in it is always magic. I mm-hmm. love it. I love it. When she says, vampire detector's my ass. Right? <laughs> he just walks in a little bit. And then when she's like, couldn't you have tortured him a little more? I know. When she I sees just, that Gavin's been tortured. She walks in and Angel's just at her desk and he's got Gavin tied up. Like, oh, my oh my God. God. It is so great. And then when Angel says, you're not afraid of me, Lila. You're afraid of what's coming. Maybe we can help each other. The enemy of my enemy. And she goes, can kiss my ass, too. And I was like, yes, <laughs> yes, <laughs> Lila. God. This woman is so perfect. I love her so much. I She's love her. so great. Oh, my God. She so what? I'm so supposed great. to throw in with Mr. Goody because the great unknown has me shaking in my pumps. <laughs> <laughs> It's just all of it, all of it, every minute of Lila and Angel. Because the thing is, like, Lila is always Lila, which is awesome. And Angel, whenever he's around Lila, is always Angry Angel, which is, like, my favorite flavor of Angel. It's like Ben and Jerry's fish food. It's so good, you know? Um, So... And I will not I will not argue whether or not fish food is the best Ben and Jerry's flavor. I'm not going to have that discussion. It just is. So... You know, I'm going to be getting tons of mail about that. Um, But anyway, no, it's just, it's so great. I love seeing them together. They are fantastic throughout this whole thing. Yeah, they really, really are. And I, I, and I think, you know, in this quest that I'm on to figure out why the hell I love this show so much, when, when it can be so truly, truly, Uh truly horrible. I think Lila is one of the answers to that question. Oh, absolutely. I, yeah. I'm not sure what that says about me, but I... <laughs> no, okay. Lila is a strong woman. Yes, she's evil, but look past that. Um, she's an amazing dresser. She doesn't let anybody intimidate her. Um, she will throw down anywhere when she says that, you know, foresight might be my, you know, might be my problem, but lack of courage is yours, you know, oh, and then God. she cuts off uh, Linwood's head. Like, that is the thing. She will always throw down. She yeah. never gets all like, oh, I don't know. Oh, am I doing the right thing? And like, she's just like, no, I'm going to I'm going to fight and I'm going to fight in this. And I'm every bit as good as any man that I come up against. Um, I love all of that about her, not to mention that she's quippy as fuck. And I love that. Oh, like, yeah. She can, she can so rattle funny. it off. And she's so <laughs> smart. And I think it's and, yeah. it, and we're, we'll talk about like trusting the writers yes as as we go through this but Mm -hmm. her character stays true like lila is always lila Mm -hmm. and they do that so well you know and in so many very specific ways that i think that is one of the things that i love most about the show plus she's just fantastic she's just amazing stephanie romanov and the part is incredible like all Mm -hmm. of it all of the lila stuff i don't think that there's ever been a moment with lila that i didn't love her in like the no. moment itself might not have been good, but she was always amazing. Yeah. Everything she does, 
She's always great. Oh, God. Okay, so getting to the last thing I like in this episode before we go through the voluminous staking that I have to do um, <laughs> is actually the opening with Fred and Gunn. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the tension between them. Uh, they're finally talking a little bit about, you know, what has happened, right? Um, and I think that that's really good. Um, but it's just, it's so sad. And when he says, I couldn't let you carry that. And she's like, that wasn't your choice, you right. know? And then uh, it's not who you are. It isn't in your heart. And she goes, but it's in yours. And he mm-hmm. goes, well, it is now. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and I'm like, it's so, it's so sad. And it's like, that's when a conflict is written so beautifully because like everything that was done was done out of love that he just wanted to protect her from herself. And the only way to do that was to sacrifice himself. And in the end, sacrifice his relationship with her, you know? Um, And those kinds of impossible choices are like just so wonderful and so crunchy in fiction. You know, Um, I love that. I do too. I do too. And I like that they're also not trying to just put a neat bow around that. Right. Like, Oh, it's the apocalypse now. So we're all better. Everything's fine. Mm-hmm. You know, exactly. They're still letting that real conflict space between them play out. And I was okay. glad to see that. Yeah, no, I think that's really good. And I'm glad that they're not just, you know, sweeping under the rug. Of course, they're not because they want to build up this whole love triangle, you know, and this yeah. jealousy bullshit between Gunn and Wesley or whatever. <laughs> um, but it's okay. I don't care. I'm still here for it because I hate that they're fighting over a woman, but I love that they've got all this love for each other and yet they can't it's like that romantic tension that you feel in a romantic relationship but this is a friendship thing like they love each other but they can't be together and it's just so sad (laughs) just because just because wesley went a little bit evil for a while i mean come on who hasn't who hasn't who hasn't (laughs) all right let me get out my stakes because uh because we got to start staking some stuff um cordy and angel uh mm-hmm. it, all of this is terrible uh connor you know comes into the hyperion to rub it in that cordy's staying with him and that is unbelievably gross but then you know he asks angel to talk to cordy and it seems genuine like yeah. he's you know he really wants to like, cordy needs angel and he's bringing angel to cordy you know yeah, for I that i actually and- gave connor points for that yeah no i liked that um but then we have you know, Angel comes to sit and talk to Cordy and Cordy goes on this whole thing about when she was a higher being, you know, she saw that he was angelus. And after seeing that, I just can't be with you. And, and first of all, first of all, um, we saw her when she was a higher being and she was shouting at Angel to come and get her. So mm-hmm. she had already seen like all of that stuff at that time and was still wanting Angel to come and get her, right? Um, So there's that. So this is completely inconsistent with that. Um, Not to mention the fact that she had, you know, she's like uh, knowing it is different than living it, but she already lived it. She lived through season two of Buffy in which Angelus terrorized everybody and killed a number of her friends. So um, she's been there, done that. She knows what Angel is when he's Angelus. She also knows that Angel and Angelus are two different people. And if anybody has been able to keep the, those lines clear in their head, it's Cordy. Um so all of this is very terrible, and we are actually going to be talking about this a little bit more in the spoiler section at the end of the episode. So yes. we'll, we'll we leave have some of that to in there. say that we cannot say right now. 
things to say that we can't say without spoiling. But, um, but I mean, did any of that make any sense to you? Not without spoiling. Not yeah. <laughs> no. Exactly. Not but without I mean, spoiling. it's just like it's so because inconsistent with the reality yeah, that if, Cordy has already lived through. If she had not been calling for Angel, mm-hmm. yeah. and she came back and said, "Look, I knew the stuff that you had done mm-hmm. before." Mm-hmm. And I know you're not angelus, but as a yeah. higher being, I actually experienced angelus. Like I felt yeah. your joy. Mm-hmm. I felt their pain. And so like now it would be different, but that doesn't match with, Hey, I'm up here in the sky. Come get me. Exactly. So, you know, you have these two things that are in direct conflict being said by the same character. So one of them has to be untrue. Right, exactly. Which means that the the writers are lying to us at some point. Yes. You know, and we don't know what. And again, it comes down to trusting the writers. When you're at a point where you feel like you cannot trust the writers because they keep throwing all this left field bullshit at you, mm-hmm. you know, then you can't relax in this stuff. And you're looking at it, you're like, well, that doesn't make sense. None of this makes sense, you know. Yeah. Um, and then we've got this whole thing with this beast, right? I saw this beast. I saw his eyes. It's coming, Angel, and it won't stop. And that makes it different from every other apocalyptic what's it they fought how. Like, <laughs> no, this beast is no different. And actually, when we finally see the beast, eh. You know, they fought monsters bigger and badder than this thing, you know? Yeah. And I think that they're trying to give weight to it by like the fact that Lorne's vision of it is yeah. killing all the psychics at Wolfram and Hart. And right. there's all these rats and the sparrows are throwing themselves at the door. And like all this stuff is happening around the beast. But the beast is just like a really big, strong dude that likes to kill people. Yeah. It's basically a big rock with horns. So... <laughs> I mean, you know, it's it's tough and everything. I mean, it's beating holy hell. It's tough. But like, you know, over the course of how many, you know, years of this stuff, we've had like big bad beasts. And the big problem here is he comes up through the cement, through the concrete, through the asphalt, whatever the fuck's on the ground in the in the alley. And um, he cracks up through that. And then he's all big and tough and he's big and bad and he strangles Cordelia and he throws Connor against a garbage bin. And then what? Does he kill them? No, he buggers off. They cannot defend themselves against this thing. And yet it doesn't kill them, you know? Um, Also, like you can see he's big, but he's not bigger than, say, Skip, you know? Mm -hmm. Like he's he's a big demon-y looking thing, but we've seen big demon-y looking things before. We've dealt with some pretty tough ones. And I think because we can because we can see what he is and because he doesn't look that much different from a lot of the other demons we've dealt with, the beast himself being this big, horrible, bad thing, like, eh, you know, yeah. it's just not that impressive. Well, and he's coded to look more like the stereotypical image of the devil. Right. Than most of yeah. the beasts on the show are. Yeah. And he comes up out of the ground in the exact same spot where Connor was born. Mm-hmm. Um, and Cordelia is just filling Connor in on those facts and acting like she doesn't remember that alley. And Mm -hmm. so like, it's just so convoluted. Mm -hmm. And when you have to step back from a story to ask those kinds of questions, I mean, it's just, there's no, there's just no trust in the, in the writing right now because, and so trying to like make sense of it and Mm -hmm. backwards engineer it into a storyline, it's just not going to work. Yeah, none of it makes sense. It's terrible. Mm-hmm. Which brings us to the most terrible thing oh, God. that Angel the Series has ever done, or 
and I feel like I can say this even for people who have said or will ever do the yes. worst thing <laughs> the worst thing and it, and this may be one of the worst things of any TV show I've ever watched has ever done I don't think I've ever seen anything worse than this I mean I really really don't it is so terrible um Cordelia and Connor you know first of all Cordelia and Connor like living in the same space having that where they have that weird kiss the other day which leaves this like you know cover of ugh, all over everything right you know this like little thin layer of slime on everything with them it's so gross um you know we've got this whole like dream where she you know wakes up and she says you know I, I it's coming no one can stop it i want to warn angel but the but the words don't come and then it turns out that she's having a dream and then she wakes up from that dream and she's in connor's arms it's all weird and gross and you know i don't know all of it just i hated that whole sequence that was like a dream except it's real and whatever um then we get to the the world is falling apart fire raining from the sky they're looking out nothing matters connor you know and then they kiss i want you to feel something real you know it's so bad and then you see the shot of them in bed together you know under that blue blanket and it just it's all so bad it's so bad and cordelia while they're having sex has this look on her face like she just wants to look at her watch you know like how much longer is this gonna you know you're a teenager it seems like this is probably your first time having a speed it up kid speed it up you know um it's just terrible it's just all of it so awful and i couldn't watch it and it just grossed me out on a million different levels mostly because of the oedipal stuff but also it's angel's son she was in love with angel you cannot see the son of the person you're in love with it's just wrong all of it is wrong all of it is bad i hated all of it it's it so makes me bad. so uncomfortable and, and angel watching it makes it even worse oh god angel watching it like ugh. ugh. but so like i knew the storyline it's always grossed mm -hmm. me out i've always thought it was disgusting yeah you know i've always been horrified by it but this time and it's been a number of years since i yeah. watched this episode again mm -hmm. so connor's coded as 18 yeah my son is 20 yeah and i'm watching it now going you know not only is this sick and gross and wrong but to me this is actually mother son sexual abuse yeah and i read that like on a whole new level from mm -hmm. the way that she seduces him to the way that she's manipulating him mm -hmm. to the fact that cordelia remembers connor as a baby yes but connor has only known cordelia as a young adult yeah and the power dynamics in that relationship are completely off balance mm -hmm. you know connor is new to the world yep he's very very clueless he doesn't have emotional attachments he doesn't mm -hmm. have a sense of safety and trust and self yeah cordelia knows all of that and and there's this this flip in the way that she treats him where you know like it she's even flirting with him earlier like oh mm -hmm. you've been learning how to use your words and like oh god um it, it and it's this flip between maternal and seductive mm -hmm. that is is and and the the whole world of like mother son sexual abuse doesn't get discussed as often as other forms yeah you know mm -hmm. of, of child abuse but it does happen and and it's mm -hmm. 
a, a, a huge layer of sick and gross and wrong and violation mm-hmm. here that gets played as, well, Connor slept with his dad's girlfriend. Right. And it's actually no. so much deeper than that. And the, you know, this is, this is a, a situation of sexual abuse and yeah. it's, you know, beyond just the, the gross and wrong of it, mm-hmm. it, it's, it's violating Connor even more. So like mm-hmm. literally every person that this child has been close to has used him for one yep. purpose or another, mm-hmm. with the exception of Angel, who Connor was raised not to trust. So, like this kid, and who never Connor had won't a get chance. close to, right. right? Yeah. So it just it bothers me, and like they don't they don't call it out mm-hmm. for the right reasons, but they play it in that space. Yes, mm-hmm. and it's just disturbing. It is so incredibly gross. Um, and the thing is, is that Cordelia was a mother figure. For him. I mean, for a couple of weeks, granted, but like, it doesn't really matter at all. And, you know, and Connor is the one, like, she was saying she couldn't be with Angel, you know, because of she saw him as Angelus or whatever. And that's all stupid bullshit. Um, But this is the if she loves Angel and she says she loves him, this is the thing that's going to hurt him more than anything. You know, like doing this so like all of that together all of that doesn't make any sense it's incredibly incredibly gross um and it's so difficult to watch and it is absolutely i mean it's sexual abuse it's it's violating that trust you know that the power dynamic it's one thing for connor to want cordy or to have a crush on cordy because he doesn't know like he doesn't first of all he doesn't know anything he grew up in a hell dimension like his experience is very very limited you know um but like he doesn't he didn't know her when he was a child and she was you know the adult who took care of him like um he doesn't have a context for that so him wanting her i'm like all right you know fine gross but okay fine Mm -hmm. but her and indulging that with him at all in any way the kiss was bad enough and it was really bad this is freaking appalling um and it feels like such a a tone deaf thing for the writers to do because it feels like they're trying to say because she says a number of times oh you're 18 you're 18 Mm -hmm. as if that's the only reason why this isn't okay Right. You know? And and without yeah. spoilers, like you can still step back and see mm-hmm. whatever's going on with Cordy, mm-hmm. the way that it's playing out is deep emotional manipulation. Yeah. You yeah. know, she's hitting Angel in his core vulnerabilities, right? She's mm-hmm. bringing up his guilt with Angelus yep. and she's going after his kid. Mm-hmm. And then she's hitting Connor with, mm-hmm. you know, you've never had friends. You've never had anything real. Nobody else will care about you but me. And yeah. she's playing on the feelings that she knows he has for her. So, like, we're mm-hmm. seeing this gross, awful manipulation. But mm-hmm. as a reader, there's nothing that you can pull from this to explain it because the writers aren't playing fair. Yeah, there's nothing that makes sense here. So, yeah, it's just it's just really disgusting. So we will talk about that a little bit more when we get to the spoiler section again. Hang out after our usual outro at the end of the episode, and we will have those spoilers for you. Um, but let's go ahead and move on from the just unbelievably gross, disgusting thing that makes me want to have to go take a shower. And uh, the last thing that I want to say is actually a fairly tiny thing, but it's one of these things that's been building up over time, and it's mm-hmm. really beginning to annoy me. And it is Lorne in the constant position of being ever 
everybody's emotional midwife, you know? Um, You know, all Lauren gets to do is focus on everybody else, be the guy that stands there with no desires or storyline of his own and reflect stories back at the real players, right? We always have, I mean, every, every character does this for other characters at a certain point. They have, you know, like a moment where two people will talk and it'll be about one character and not the other, and that's fine. But Lauren, it is always about he is just there he's like talking to angel you know about cordy then he's talking to gun about fred and that's all he does is he sits there and he like reflects everything back and then we have it later you know lauren is unavailable to be at the diner with fred later on and so they have the waitress do it and it's weird when the waitress does it where she's like that man loves you he would do anything for you he would what do you know about it They come in, they eat pancakes. You don't know anything about them. Like, why are you inserting yourself in her personal life? Like, why are you, you know? So (laughs) all of that is weird. But that's like one of the awkward things that when we want to, when we, you know, as writers, when we can't figure out a way to show what we want, then we have two people have a conversation about their emotional status, you know, or whatever, their romantic situation, so that we can have people talk about it and, you know, get a sense of where they are. But when it's not done in the context of a scene where everybody involved is realistically, you know, living their own experience, you know, while other stuff is going on, it ends up being this flat character that's just like, here, let me hold this spotlight. Am I am I holding it straight? Is it on you? Okay, because that's <laughs> my whole job in so, this scene. I have been giving this a lot of thought since mm-hmm. our last episode. Yeah. And when we started thinking about the possibility that Angel as a story is being told by Lorne, that right. Lorne is like actually a narrator of sorts. But mm-hmm. like he, everything is being presented through his eyes. Mm-hmm. I have really, really started to to latch onto that idea. Yeah, because I was thinking, all right, if I was writing the story and I had been in it, what are mm-hmm. some of the things that I would leave out? Hmm, mm-hmm. my own sex life, my own <laughs> emotional processing, <laughs> my own deep side of things. Yeah, I might leave some of that out. And so when I'm thinking about this, it's like, Mm -hmm. if this story world is being told by Lorne, some of the emotional midwifery actually makes sense. But there's no canon for that. There's no, like, I have no textual justification for it. We just have that one episode, yeah. Yeah, but when Mm -hmm. I'm thinking about it that way, I'm like, oh, that would explain a lot of the personal gaps about Lorne. That's interesting because um, usually like people are the heroes of their own stories, you know, like like over in uh, Buffy, right? When we had the season three episode, the Zeppo, where we saw things from Xander's POV, like usually people ignore Xander and he's just kind of like a sidekick guy. But in this one episode, he had his whole thing going on. Nobody knew about it, right? Mm -hmm. Nobody knew what was going on with him. Um, And I feel like that's usually what happens in that kind of scenario that when somebody's telling the story they make themselves the hero. Now I can see why Lorne wouldn't do that, yeah. you know, because I think that is absolutely consistent with his character, but it's, it's an interesting idea. It's just an interesting idea that I have no textual evidence for, but I kind of like it and it yeah. helps me smooth some of the edges out. Some of that over. Cause Lorne, it just gets ignored. Mm-hmm. And here we have Vincent Kartheiser as Connor as a series regular and uh, Andy Hallett is still a guest star. Yeah, what like, the hell is up What with the that? hell with that? 
You know, so yeah, I don't know. I'm just, I'm very offended on Andy Hallett's behalf. Me too. I want, <laughs> I want Lauren to be doing better stuff and more interesting stuff and to have actually, I don't know, his own fricking storyline. Um, so I'm a little bit tired of, of that element of him, but I love all of Lauren generally. So um, I'm just, I'm just staking that. Um, but that brings us into research mode where I do have a couple of questions. Um, when Fred and Gunn are in the ladies bathroom, right? Having that conversation. Um, and, uh, and Fred says, maybe we should have brought a priest and Gunn says, or some consecrated Drano, right? So here we are, we're in the middle of the apocalypse. Um, and we're bringing in this kind of religious reference again, but the only demon that has any religious just you know connotation at all is the vampire mm-hmm. like you know because the crosses hurt them the holy water hurts them you know um so we kind of have that but like other demons don't they're not repelled by holy imagery we don't go to priests we don't you know we don't do much of that i think at all unless we're dealing with vampires so it's interesting to me like why does religion and religion iconography only have power with vampires and not with other demons? I thought they were playing with some of this imagery because they are leaning on this cultural stereotype of the apocalypse. Right. So they've Mm -hmm. got the plagues coming. They've got the Mm -hmm. harborers of doom. Every rat that has ever lived is in that bathroom. (laughs) Oh God. It's so awful. It's Uh. so awful. Like I hate, okay. I hate zombies, Mm -hmm. rats and incest. (laughs) Like it, it it's wait, like oh wait you hate incest? No, I mean come yeah, on yeah. zombies and rats I get <laughs> zombies rats and incest those are my lines rats and incest you know that would be such a great like title for this episode but I'm not going to be able to do that <laughs> because no. the incest oh, God, is no. so gross it's so but gross. anyway it's so gross <laughs> <laughs> but that's kind of why I thought they started yeah. bringing. Yeah, that in. But yeah, it's just so bad. Oh, God, it's awful. Um, Okay, the other thing, too, is that, okay, we have established, right, that Angel's powerful, like all the time. But when he vamps out, he's like extra powerful, right? Mm -hmm. He doesn't even vamp out until the middle of this fight. Like, he gets thrown on top of a, I don't even know, a balcony or something, an awning. I have no idea what the hell it was that he got thrown on. And he said, and then all of a sudden he goes into vamp face, like, in the middle of this fight. And I was like, look, if you had that in your back pocket, as soon as this guy started throwing people around the balcony, like, it's time to vamp. You're a little late to vamp out now. (laughs) So I used to think, I mean, I had theories about this. Mm -hmm. And I used to think that there was a pain threshold or an anger threshold. Mm-hmm. That once he hit, he would vamp out. But he can control it, though. Right. Like, that's we've what, seen him vamp. So it doesn't. Yeah. And I don't know. Because he, he vamped for Connor to help him sleep when he was a baby. Yeah. So maybe yeah. he didn't realize that the beast was going to be this difficult to beat. And then when he figured that out, he was like, oh, wait, I better vamp oh. out. Or it's one of those things where you forget to vamp out. Like I was driving down, like when I got my car, when it was new, um, I was driving at night and I forgot to turn the lights on. Yeah. I mean, I have podcasted a number of times and forgotten to plug in my microphone. (laughs) So (laughs) I I guess it happens to all of us. (laughs) (laughs) Oh God, this episode is terrible. All right. I'm going to brood. Apocalypse Now-ish is a watcher because you'll be completely lost if you miss the rising of the beast and the launch of the apocalypse and Cordy and Connor sleeping together and Wesley coming back into the fold. But dear God, we didn't want to make you watch it. We are truly, truly sorry. Hopefully the next episode will be better. Kelly, take it away with habeas corpses. (laughs) 
In the dark, violent, scary episode that is habeas corpses, everyone reels from the beast's attack and the impending apocalypse. And Angel also reels from seeing Cordelia and Connor in bed together, and so do we all. After more manipulation from Cordelia, Connor, now believing he is connected to the beast, goes to Wolfram and Hart for answers. And the big bad beast also goes to Wolfram and Hart for a massacre killing everyone except Lila, even Gavin, on his way up to the White Room. Wesley breaks up with Lila, but then goes to Wolfram and Hart to rescue her, and she tells him that Connor is still trapped in the building. Wesley goes to the Hyperion and tells Angel, who orders Fred and Gunn to go with him and Wesley to save Connor, while ordering Cordelia to stay home with Lauren. They find Connor, but also find hundreds of dead Wolfram and Hart employees who are all turning into zombies, hell-bent on killing anyone who isn't already dead. Angel and team fight their way up to the White Room, where they find the beast draining the life force from the little girl who rules that room, and she uses the last of her power to transport them back to the Hyperion. Angel finally confronts Cordelia about sleeping with Connor and tells her to get the hell out. And the only thing that I wish the Beast would destroy is this Cordelia and Connor storyline because there aren't enough stakes in the world. (laughs) Habeas Corpses aired on January 15th, 2003. It was directed by Skip Skulnick and written by Jeffrey Bell. All right, Kelly Jones, Habeas Corpses. Where are you on the perfect happiness scale of stake this at zero and lost your soul at six? Okay, so a few minutes on this rewatch, it dawned on me. Oh, hell, this is the episode where the beast kills everybody at Wolfram and Hart. Yes. Um, <laughs> I don't rewatch this one often because it's yeah. so violent, but I would watch it again. Um, so I gave it a four, although I hate zombies. Like, seriously, mm-hmm. do not like unsubscribe. And I hate seeing Cordelia and Connor together. And the violence here really is shocking and disturbing. But mm-hmm. it still strikes me as an important episode of Angel. And while yeah. I was horrified in places and not just by the zombies... Um, I was still in the story and it raised really good research questions and Lila and Wesley are so great. And Oh, Kevin. And the ending in the white room at Wolfram and Hart is amazing. Mm -hmm. And I'm here for it. Okay. I'm here for that. (laughs) Um, you know, it's so funny. I gave it a three. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, I, I definitely like this episode better than apocalypse now ish, you know, um, there are absolute high points in this episode, but I am so sickened by the Cordy Connor storyline that it kind of ruins everything else. It's like someone made you this really nice dinner and it smells delicious and they plated it beautifully and there's sauces and there's garnishes. And then they place a big turd in the middle of it and it kind of ruins the whole thing. Like, you can't eat around the turd. It's just, it's too turd adjacent. And so for me, that ruins everything in this run of the series. I just can't get past it. It's just the turd. I I was looking for goodness where I could find it, man. Good for you. trying to be chipper. Good for you. And there was some good stuff here. Um, and I did have some moments of perfect happiness, including the episode title, because mm-hmm. I love wordplay. And, Aww. you know, the title of this, Habeas Corpses, is a play on habeas corpus, which is mm-hmm. Latin for you shall have the body in court. Mm-hmm. Right. So this is the legal requirement to bring a person under arrest before a judge and to require release unless legal grounds for the arrest can be shown. Mm-hmm. And I always wanted to go to law school, y'all. You would be an amazing lawyer. I reckon I could give Lila a run for her money. 
I think you could. <laughs> it would be a lot of fun, especially if I didn't have this pesky soul holding me back. I know, right? It is such a pain. It's such a pain in the ass. Stupid soul. And Gavin bringing Lila coffee was giving me life. Oh, my God. I know. Especially because she took one sip and looked at him and threw it away. I know. <laughs> Oh, I love Gavin. I do too. And and <laughs> you know she's sending Gavin down to the lobby when the beast gets there, and Gavin's like, "No, no, no, no." And, and she <laughs> says, "What are you more afraid of? A giant murderous demon or me?" And he's right. like, "Okay." And he turns <laughs> around and walks out. And 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 I forgot. Like I felt so bad for Gavin. I totally forgot that the beast killed him. Yeah. And, and it was shocking, you know, and he was, was evil and he was awful. But I was really sad to see him leave the show because he was such a great nemesis for Lila. And damn, but Daniel Day Kim is fantastic. And and he should not have been turned into a zombie. Lonnie, it's just no. not okay. <laughs> Daniel Day Kim is so great. And he didn't like Gavin didn't get enough good stuff to do. Yeah. Like Daniel Day Kim could do a lot more than he was given to do here. And I think for me, that's part of it. Like watching, especially after having watched Lost, you know, which oh, Daniel Day Kim was, yeah. a, was a big star in and, um, and everything that he had done there. And I just like, when I go back to Angel after having watched Lost, I'm like, oh my God, talk about a missed opportunity. You guys didn't give him anything, you yeah. know, aside from like the occasional, you know, parrying with Lila but he was never at Lila's level. Like he never, he was no Lindsay. No, you know? No. So, um, yeah. So I was kind of really sad to see him go because there was so much more potential, but this death opened him up for playing Jin on lost. So, you know, extra textually, I can't be too sad. <laughs> no. And if I had to choose between zombie Gavin and zombie Lindsay, I would go with zombie Gavin because, yeah, I just I could, oh zombie I, Lindsay I would break have my lived. heart. I could not have done that. It would have killed yeah. me. But speaking of zombies, yes, this episode of Still Dead is brought to you by WolfermanHeartZombies.com. <laughs> Tired of contracts that don't hold up in court or during an apocalypse? Want to sell your soul in five minutes or less without paying those pesky hidden fees? Looking for the fine print to curse your mortal enemies and annoying co-workers into undead mindless violence? WolfermanHeartZombies.com is your turnkey, ironclad, all-in-one solution for evil doing. If you're overwhelmed by your thirst for power and need to outsource your dirty work, grab the sharp object of your choice and head over to WolfermanHeartZombies.com. Enter your credit card number and press your bloody fingerprint to the screen and voila! Your order will be processed instantly. Making a deal with the devil or the senior partners has never been easier. Wolferman Heart is not liable for the side effects of selling your soul online, including but not limited to hell dimension deportation, demon spawn impregnation, character violation, decapitation, amnesia, psychological, physiological, and neurological torture, poorly timed irony smashes, single use glowy powers, and eternal servitude in files and records. Go to WolfermanHeartZombies.com and use the code EYEOFFIRE for 20% off your first purchase. Order today and get a bonus coupon for free shipping from our partner site, Justine's Custom Ice Picks. Signing contracts with your own blood is simple with one of her high-quality handcrafted ice picks. 
Or instead, y'all, you could choose to take the few bucks you might spend on soulless shenanigans and give it directly to Chipperish Media so we can keep making the great podcast you love, like Still Pretty, about Buffy the Vampire Slayer, hosted by our very own Lonnie Diane Rich and Noelle LaCroix. Listen up A-Holes about the Marvel Cinematic Universe, hosted by Lonnie and superhero scholar Joshua Unruh. Orgasm about explosive inspiration from me and Noelle LaCroix, and our Star Wars podcast, Metaphors Be With You, hosted by Rob Hyrett. Visit patreon.com slash chipperish to find out more. <laughs> Jesus, you are a goddamn delight. <laughs> Thank you very much. I sold itty bitty part of my soul online to get some charm and it was super, super easy. Oh, baby, you had charm to spare. <laughs> <laughs> There's so much I want to do with Wolfram and Hart. Oh, like, yeah. It just it never ceases to delight me. It's so great. It is very fun. Um, and one of the other things that delight me here is Lila and Wesley. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so the world is on fire. Everybody is, like, trying to find their people. And Lila goes to Wesley's to check on him. And the look of relief on her face mm-hmm. when he opens the door is so real. Yeah. And I totally believe that she loves him. Yes. And I totally believe her hurt and fury when he breaks up with her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and Wesley says, I believe a day of reckoning has arrived. Mm-hmm. And Lila says, and you'll just reckon you'll toss in with the good guy. <laughs> it was so great. <laughs> no, I love it. It was so great. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, she goes back to Wolfram and Hart and she thinks she's safe. You right. know, like it's supposed to be the safest place to be during an apocalypse. But that's where the beast is going to kill everybody. Mm-hmm. So, like, whoever was in charge of foreseeing the apocalypse knowing about this beast, like having some clue of what's going on at Wolfram and Hart. Like maybe they're on vacation this week. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but, you know, she shoots the beast and it stabs her. Yeah. And, and like for a moment, I thought, oh, my God. Yeah. You know, Lila's going to die. But she lives because, you know. Because she's Lila. Lila. But, you know, when she goes back to Wolfram and Hart, though, there's one thing that I absolutely loved. Right. She she's just been broken up with Wesley. Right. She goes back. Um, she is completely off of her game. She's on the phone with somebody. And the one thing that Lila can always do, no matter what, is threaten people. Like, <laughs> And here we have, you know, she can't come up with a good threat and has to get boil you alive from Gavin. Yeah. <laughs> and you see her, like, turn away from Gavin right. and say it real quietly. Like, I don't want you watching me do this. I got nothing right now. Mm-hmm. It was so great. Oh, my God. It was so good. And then Wesley goes to Wolfram and Hart to save her. I know. Because he really does care about he her, too. He does. You know? Yeah. And he gets her out of the building, and he tells her to run and hide and go underground and change her name. Mm-hmm. And she tells him that Connor's trapped yeah. on the third floor, you know. Um, and she didn't have to tell him mm-hmm. that. She doesn't know how that's going to play out for right. Wolfram and Hart. And then, of course, you know, Wesley goes to tell Angel. Mm-hmm. And, and he also goes to help him, even though he has seen firsthand the horror and destruction that's waiting for yeah. them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and Fred and Gunn go too, even though Connor has been so awful to them. Mm-hmm. So I like that, you know, the team is coming back together minus Cordelia. Because mm-hmm. God. Um, but I but I do like that part. And I like Wesley being Wesley, you know, yeah. in those moments mm-hmm. really, really well. Um, and I, I had some moments of perfect happiness with Good Angel and Evil Red Riding Hood. Mm-hmm. because oh dear god this white room thing delights me so much i can't even um 
so Angel remembers the white room, you know, and the something old and evil like that yeah. likes to pretend it's a little girl. Yeah. <laughs> and and we get his photographic memory again with the elevator mm-hmm. buttons, which is so great, especially yeah. because he doesn't get it right on the first try. Right. But I love that magical hidden button. Like, I love it. Y'all, I love mm-hmm. it. I just love it. Um, and, <laughs> like, that white room is the room of research questions for me. Yes, so right. Anytime we get to go in there, I'm delighted. Mm-hmm. You know, and Angel somehow knows that whatever that little girl is, that's what the beast is there for. Yeah. And the beast is pulling, you know, I guess it's like the life essence from her in this wave of black smoke. Mm-hmm. And it's so creepy. Yeah. You know, and she looks at Angel and says, the answer is among you. And I don't like that cryptic nonsense. Mm -hmm. But then she uses like what seems to be the last of her breath and her power to transport them back to the Hyperion. Yeah. And so it it just opens up all these questions for me that we'll get to. Yeah. But Mm -hmm. I love like crazy the moment that they all appear back in the lobby. And Lauren just looks (laughs) at his martini glass like, what the actual fuck is going on here? How much have I had? You know, first of all, I love the fact that Lauren never doesn't have a drink in his hand. I know. (laughs) It's so great. Earlier in the episode, he's got the sea breeze. Then he's got the martini. Like he is always drinking. And you know what? I don't don't blame him <laughs> if you're living in a place if you're living in a place where demons come and attack you on the regular drink just do yes. it you just, know? just absolutely <laughs> um and angel you know when he looks around he says she sent us home mm-hmm. and home is the title of the season four finale which as much as i hate season four i yeah. love that episode like i freaking love yeah. that episode and i like the connection there. Mm-hmm. and then we hear connor say dad yeah. And I'm, I, I don't know, like, when he wasn't in manipulation mode, if mm-hmm. we've ever heard Connor say that. Yeah. And his vulnerability was real, but Angel just walked away from him. And so mm-hmm. that could go in my stake this section for bad Angel, but I really felt for Connor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, right there. Mm-hmm. Um, You know, and Lauren was really concerned that that beast killed a little girl, mm-hmm. you know, and Wesley was like, not really a girl, something ancient and evil dressed like a girl. <laughs> I was like, that pretty much is my fashion profile, too. So, like, <laughs> you know, and, yeah. and then Gun. And I think Gun is giving some weight to the mm-hmm. beast that we right. just didn't really have before. Because mm-hmm. he says, what does it say about this big bad wolf if he can just stride right in and suck the energy out of Evil Red Riding Hood? Um, which I a, thought was hilarious. And yes. B, it was like, okay, so the beast does have some elevated power. Yeah. I think we don't my, understand yet. My favorite moment, though, was earlier, you know, when they were like, okay, we can fight this demon or we can go and deal with the creepy little girl, right? And Gunn says that and he goes, you know which one I'm voting for? Oh, and yeah. Fred goes, I disagree. I think we should see the girl. <laughs> yeah, Gunn's like, I got hundreds of zombies in a beast exactly. where I got that creepy little girl. I'm going to fight the <laughs> monster. <laughs> I love how I much she creeps that. gun out. <laughs> I know. I just, I love it so much. And I think it's really great. And that girl was creepy. That actress is she, unbelievable oh, in that she's role. She's amazing. She's yeah. so good. And she's I'm very, so very good. sad to see her die because I wanted that creepy little girl again. <laughs> oh, I know. She was great. Um, and in a far less well-known sign of an impending apocalypse, mm-hmm. I have notes about Connor that are not in my stake this section. Mm-hmm. And, and I feel like I'm contributing maybe to the, the coming of the end yeah by doing this (laughs) but i really did have like serious connor 
empathy this episode. Yeah. Um, I really liked that he went to Lila. Yeah. You know, and barged in her office and was like, I have questions. And I was mm-hmm. like, me too, kid. Me like too. father, like, like son, man. <laughs> right. Um, but it was smart. And it mm-hmm. was and it was independent, you know, of him. And he says, I want to know why I'm here. Mm-hmm. I want to know what I am. And like, that is the question. Yeah. When you're transitioning into adulthood that everybody goes through. Connor's just going through it at, you know, hellish proportions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, Lila tries to capture and dissect him. <laughs> So like there are, <laughs> this it's always people, dissect with Lila. Always. I like, mean, come on. People have been wanting to dissect this kid since he was born, and that will give you issues. You know, <laughs> when all you have is a dissection lab, everything's <laughs> a frog, right? <laughs> Jesus. You know, and and he he can't trust anybody, and nobody mm-hmm. trusts him. And yes, most of that is his own doing. But still, this kid has never had a chance. And so, you know, he beats up the Wolfram and Hartgoons and grabs Lila by the throat and slams her up against the wall. And I think she learns really fast that he's not as much like Angel oh, yeah. as she thinks. And she's yeah. more afraid of Connor than she is of Angel. Oh, yeah. Um, Absolutely. And Connor's not messing around, you know? Mm-hmm. And when the beast shows up, right after Connor tells Lila that he's connected to it, Lila asks him, do mm-hmm. you have any idea what this thing wants? And Connor says, everybody did. Yeah. So, like, he seems to have this sense that I, I just kind of appreciated from him. You know, and then the demon calls Connor by name. And I felt terrible for Connor in that moment. Yeah. Because he didn't ask to be born the son of two vampires. He didn't mm-hmm. ask to be raised in Hell Dimension or to be connected with the beast. And he's awful, but he's also 18 and alone and confused with no real connections to people. Um, and so when Angel finds him and hugs him and says, thank God you're alive. I was oh. like, oh, thank God. Like, okay, finally. Yeah. Like, Yes, let's have a moment of actually being a dad. It doesn't last long. Um, yeah, but it's really nice. And oh God, you're going to make me feel bad for Connor. But <laughs> I, I, I'm tr- like, I'm really trying to be. Objective, no, you're but right. You're right about I all did this feel stuff. Bad for him, and had you know? they actually expressed any vulnerability in Connor, had it been in the performance, had it been in the writing, I think we'd be in a better place with Connor. Um, yeah. But it's just like the way that he's written more than the actual hard facts of of his existence you know for me i think make it really hard for me to connect with that empathy with him it does me too but like in the previous episode when he fought the beast you know he he ended up with some broken ribs and he's like i've never been broken before i Mm -hmm. didn't know i could be yeah and then here so he's had this physical vulnerability Mm -hmm. now he's got all this emotional vulnerability yeah and this is a kid who in addition to all his other issues pretty much thought he was invincible. And now yeah. he's learning that he's not. Yeah. So like, I really do feel for him. And this is the first like real vulnerability that I think we've seen from him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then even down to the fact of just reminding us that he doesn't know how this world works. He doesn't right. even know the basics of the supernatural. The kid doesn't know what a zombie is. Mm-hmm. And Angel's just explaining it like they're undead things, but not like vampires. Mm-hmm. And Connor's like, they're undead things like you. And yeah. Angel's like, no, trust me, it's different. And I'm like, do what I said because I said it. Listen mm-hmm. to me because I said this. Right. Is is not how you talk to an 18 year old. <laughs> um, yeah. So I did. I was very surprised, but I ended up having the feels for Connor in this. Um, yeah. 
And then I had a couple of like side moments with perfect happiness. Mm-hmm. Like when in the beginning, when Gunn comes back to the hotel and he tells Fred, it was like the end of the world out there and all I wanted was you. Aww. And I was like, oh, that's really sweet. And I love Lauren calling the beast the big, bad, possibly invincible demony thing. <laughs> because I think that might become my new Twitter bio. Oh, no, I like it. I like it. <laughs> You know, it was really great. And Lila being the only person to survive the Wolfram and Hart massacre. Of course. Like, that is some seriously powerful story protection bubble she's got going on. I know. Seriously, she does. And you know what? I'm here for it. Oh, I'm me too. Throw her down yeah. the laundry chute. Absolutely. Absolutely. Get her out of there. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um, but that's all the happiness I got. Oh, God. So, here we go. <laughs> now I got to stake things. So we get Bad, Bad Angel and Bad, Bad Court. Mm-hmm. Now, I love an episode that picks up immediately where the previous episode left off. Mm-hmm. And I love Angry Angel. Yes. Angry Angel is awesome. But pissed off passive aggressive Angel? Yeah. Not so much. Um, so opening with his fury over seeing Cordelia and Connor together works in some ways and not in others. Mm-hmm. Right? We see him furious and then we see him cold and angry. Mm-hmm. But we don't see him horrified no we don't see him vomiting which is what the rest of us did exactly and (laughs) if i gotta vomit angel you gotta vomit yes and this is not a jealousy thing this isn't oh my friend slept with my girl this is the woman who claimed my child as her own is now sexually abusing that child yes and that is horror and outrage and horror and betrayal and horror and pain and nothing 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 about the connor cordy storyline works they're playing it like a love triangle and that is not what this is oh dear god no and i am angry at the writers and i feel betrayed as a reader Mm -hmm. and the whole thing is just a violation of cordelia as a character and connor as a lost child and and the way that cordelia made connor's place all nice and pretty and cozy somehow makes it even worse yeah Mm -hmm. you know because that shift from mother figure to lover and back again is is wrong on so many levels i can't even thank them all yeah you know and they wake up in bed together and Connor is happy to see her because mm-hmm. of course he would be. Right. And she's like, don't do that. That happy puppy look. And I'm like, oh, my! I've never wanted to punch another no, human being in the mouth that badly. That is the worst. Oh, God. And she tells him that, oh, you're special. But, oh, I can't sleep with you again because mm-hmm. you're Angel's son and it rained fire. And the demon right. crawled out of the ground where you were born. But, oh, no, no, that's not your fault. And... <sighat> That abusive manipulation makes my skin crawl. I know. It's terrible. It's terrible. It's so awful. And and all Connor hears is the rejection. And Mm -hmm. of course he's confused. You know, and Cordelia is the only person he thinks cares about him. Yeah. And and, and so just the whole abusive manipulation of it is awful. And Mm -hmm. Connor's not the one at fault. And as far as I'm concerned, neither is Cordelia's. I'm putting this hot mess 100% on the writers. Oh, God, no. It's terrible. You know, and then Cordelia coming back to the hotel to talk to Angel and acting all clueless and concerned because, oh, no, Connor thinks he's connected to the Beast because, oh, gee, I told him that he is. And I don't know what he'll do now. Like, Mm -hmm. uh, ugh. But then, so Angry Angel is great, but Mm -hmm. pissed off passive aggressive Angel is the worst. So, you know, he says he's going to Wolfram and Hart. He orders Fred and Gunn to come. He's, He's really cold to both of them even mm-hmm. though they're there to help right and then he decides that it's too dangerous for cordelia who is half demon but he right. takes the humans with him into a beast they know they can't 
defeat. Right. And if he had said to Cordy, I can't have you there because you're distracting me right now. Like, yeah, I can absolutely see him saying that because right. I will not be able to focus on what I have to do to save my son. If you're there, like, fine, you know, but to be like, no, it's too dangerous. You can't come. And then he's like, Fred, <laughs> yeah. you're up. <laughs> yeah. It's you know? Like, yeah. What? And then they get there and he's like, okay, let's split up. And I'm mm-hmm. like, what the fuck, Angel? You can't leave Fred, Gunn, and Wesley in this disaster with the beast on the loose. Yeah. Like, you brought them into harm's way mm-hmm. to find Connor and then left them alone. And I'm just like, right. bad, 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 Angel. I know. You know? And then we get to the end and Cordelia tells Angel, I'm just glad everyone's safe and together again. Mm-hmm. And Angel smiles and he's like, me too. Now take your new boyfriend and get the hell out of here. Mm-hmm. Okay. First of all, is he kicking Connor out again too? Because I, don't, I think he's already kicked Connor out once. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I understand him telling Cordelia to go to hell, but yeah. the new boyfriend line? No. No. Like, no. How- how could you do this to Connor, to me, Get out to of yourself? here and get the hell away from my son? Yeah, yes, that I hear. That's, that's exactly. what you do. You kick yeah. her out, you bring the kid back, and you get yes. him into therapy. Like, that's yeah. what needs to be done. Um, and so even without spoilers, like, it's clear that something is seriously off here. Right. You know, with Cordy. And this mm-hmm. level of wrong is screaming at everyone, but Lauren doesn't pick up on it. Mm-hmm. And Angel doesn't pick up on it, right? And like I can understand him being mad, but but the the horrified part is not there. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, come on, re- I mean, really? Yeah, like re- really? No, it's it's, just so it's bad. truly terrible. And I mean, without spoiling anything, this is the writers lying to their audience, and that absolutely should not be happening at this point. Yeah, no, yeah. it's terrible. And then we have zombies. Mm-hmm. It, Lonnie, zombies gross me out. Oh, like, God, they're stop. terrible. Of oh, course they do. They're disgusting. Oh, and the music when Gavin opened his eyes, like I, oh, I yeah. jumped and yeah. screamed. It was so creepy. It was so mm-hmm. awful. And seeing all those people dead at Wolfram and Hart, like I know they're all evil, but it was still awful. And well, then they're I mean, all zombies. They're evil, like, but some of them are receptionists. Like yeah. there's well, a certain of them level work in the of mail evil. Room. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. and and then. So Gunn and Wes are talking about becoming zombies, mm-hmm. you know, and, and Gunn says, don't let me stay one for too long. Wes takes that as seriously as he takes, if Angel turns into Angelus, I will kill him, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. These two, if one of them was turned into a vampire, the other one would behead them, you yeah. know, if, or, or stake them. If one of them was turned into a zombie, the other one would behead them. Mm-hmm. And and then Wesley's like, and you'll do the same for me. And Gunn's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> and I'm like. No, they're fighting <laughs> right. together again. I know Gunn is mm-hmm. still mad, but in this moment, in that context, yeah, Wesley's offering real support and Gunn is firing back with flippant anger and indifference. And yeah. especially in the light of Gunn decapitating Gavin, mm-hmm. you know, he says, I hate seeing someone I know like that, even someone I know I hate. Right. But he was not even going to extend that same concern to Wesley. Mm-hmm. And it just really bothered me. Yeah, no, I can definitely understand that. I I read it as, I mean, I read it as Gunn sort of teasing more than anything, but but you're right, you know, like, and I mean, I think that like the way that they offer that to each other, I mean, and that's the thing, like the love story with Gunn and Wesley is one of my favorite love stories, you know, from this show. Mm -hmm. And I want to see that. And it would have been really nice. Like when he said that, it didn't really bother me. But when you said if he had said that with, 
yeah, you got it, man. Like that kind of thing, like where he's offering that friendship, you know, Um, that would have been so much more touched by that. That would have been so much better. And they could have gone right back to being angry. Right. Absolutely. But in the moment, like when it comes down to it, when push comes to shove, you know, when beast comes to demons, zombies, (laughs) you know, that like these guys will always still have each other's back and will always still love each other, you know? Yeah. And also, why zombies? Oh, Like, the beast can kill anything. He's made a clear path to the White Room. Mm-hmm. What's the deal with the zombie army? Is he controlling them? Is it a Wolfram and Hart security thing? Is it a yeah. side effect of the apocalypse? Like, do we really need the zombies? And, and, well, and yeah. what happened to the zombies once mm-hmm. Angel and team were transported back to the Hyperion? And more importantly, no more zombies, please. but the thing that confused me is that you know the beast is there to get to the white room right yeah he starts killing everybody like destroying wolfram and heart and so i guess that that must be part of the game plan as well that for some reason rather than you know banding with wolfram and heart which is clearly evil um he's deciding to kill them all for some whatever reason but it's not like any of those people were going to stop him from getting to the white room right if that was his goal like all he has to do is walk through and be like hey gavin how are you push him out of the way you go into the elevator like why destroy the place why kill all these people why create that i mean i guess maybe killing them all so that they could become zombies so if anybody tried to come after him they could stop them but the beast is this all-powerful thing so why does he need an army of zombies to protect him from you know angel and crew which he had already beaten up you know the day before so yeah it's weird it's it's like a horror power overdose yeah and the and him destroying Wolfram and Hart, it's like we have two competing apocalypses. Apocalypse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What is the plural for apocalypse? <laughs> I, I I actually need to learn that. Um, yeah, right. And and so it's just so confusing and so weird. Um, mm-hmm. And then I had two random lines that I had to stake. Yeah. So at the beginning, Angel comes back to the hotel, you know, and he's crushed. And Lauren is like, man, he looks like he was hit by a tank. And Gunn says, I don't remember ever seeing him that down after a fight. And Wesley looks at Fred and Mm -hmm. says, can't really blame him. No one likes to lose, whatever the circumstances. And I'm like, no, Wesley, no. Fred is not a goddamn prize that you won at the gaming booth. Like, she's not an object to win or lose. Mm -hmm. Like, no. Yeah. It's so bad. Um, And also, not everything has to be about, you know, Fred. Yeah, like, you know, angels, angels obviously going through a thing and being concerned about Angel would not be out of line in this moment. No, you know, Um, and then I actually had a line from Lila. I Mm -hmm. need to stake. And I was very disappointed. Yes. Yeah, I know. When Wesley was breaking up with her, you know, he says there's a line, Lila, black and white, good and evil. And Lila says, you're never going to get anything but gray. And I don't see your Texas gal pal wearing that color. Come to think of it, she prefers black. Mm-hmm. And it was so explicitly racist and yes. so inappropriate, and it made me incredibly uncomfortable. Yeah, um, it was just... bad for all of those reasons, but it was also bad because she fucked up her metaphor. Like she was talking, 
I expect better from Lila. I just do. Like the, you know, all of that stuff. I'm absolutely with you. It was completely racist. It was unnecessarily racist. It was just mm-hmm. a shitty thing to say. But, you know, here she is. She's like, you know, when you mix, you know, black and white together, you get gray. And it doesn't matter how much white you put back in. It's always going to be gray. You're never going to have anything but gray. That itself. Great line. I yeah. love that. Oh, yeah. It's it's this mixing paint metaphor, and it's fucking fantastic. And she could leave on that without saying your Texas gal pal, without saying anything about gun. But then we throw that in there, and it's horrible, and it's racist, but on top of it, it fucks up the metaphor, because that's not the kind of black we're talking about in this circumstance. <laughs> we're yes. talking about, like, paint colors, you know? Um, so all of it was really, really bad, and I additionally stake it because she fucked up the metaphor. Yeah. And so Which, like, Lila's and, and better than that. The apocalypse here makes no sense but i know it's an apocalypse mm-hmm. because i've got connor in my moments of perfect happiness and i've got lila in my staking i know so, everything is topsy-turvy <laughs> it's bizarro world it's, apocalypse that's <laughs> bizarro world apocalypse oh my god i can't wait for you to listen to me and joshua Henry talk about bizarro world oh and when we talk neither. about superman total side note it's gonna be great oh my god that's two host minimum that is the patreon exclusive podcast where we talk about the stories that we love so if you are a patreon subscriber you will see that coming soon Woohoo! yay um okay so other delightful things mm-hmm. are research questions yes and this episode had them by the plenty and it was great, great. So one of the things that I loved is the idea of music and prophecy or music Mm -hmm. and magic. And so there's this line from Lila when she goes to see Wesley and she says, rain of fire, whole city burning, right? And this is almost a direct quote from the song that Lindsay sings when he plays the guitar at Caritas, Mm -hmm. right? So it's called L.A. Song. And the lyrics are, the sky's going to open, people going to pray and crawl, it's going to rain down fire, it's going to burn us all. So I'm like... How did Wolfram and Hart not know about this apocalypse? Or was Lindsay actually seeing things in the future that the rest of Wolfram and Hart was not seeing? But it just resonated with this whole idea of music and magic for me. And I loved it. No, that's also, I figure he got a memo from... (laughs) (laughs) That there was a memo that circulated that said, okay, here's what's going to happen when the apocalypse... We just don't know when it's going to (laughs) happen. And so Lindsay was emotionally processing his work stuff, you know, at Caritas. That's what I think. That works. That (laughs) works for me. Um, And then I had questions about the big bad beast. Mm -hmm. So the senior partners wanted to cut a deal with it because, of course, they did. Of course, they did. But I'm like, so Wolfram and Hart had nothing to do with this apocalypse. So Mm -hmm. who's behind it? Like, what's the deal? I thought Wolfram and Hart was in charge of the apocalypse. Like... Are, are they right but why does wolfram and hart want an apocalypse like here's the thing guardians of the galaxy why do you want to save the galaxy because i'm the idiot that lives in it like that to me <laughs> <laughs> like you still live in the world like you know at the end what? of buffy season two when spike turns you know on buffy's side and says i like the world it's got people in it yes. <laughs> happy meals with legs right like the world why do you want to bring about the why does anybody want to bring about the apocalypse I mean, you know? like, for no other reason, don't mm-hmm. you really, really, really want people to be alive enough to be, like, your barista and your nurse? And, like, who's going to run yeah. the bookstores? I mean, come on. Exactly. Like, what? Where what? are you going to get your Starbucks from if the yeah. world is on fire? Like, right. you know, there's things you need to consider here, people. Yeah. Like, how is that the end game? I don't understand it. And, like, yeah. if that's the world you want to live in, 
you you can teleport to Corta. Like, yeah, there you are can. other options. Rip a portal. It's a lot easier <laughs> than fight an angel all day. I mean, but you I mean, the just... Wolfram and Hart, the whole thing is that they live within the world. They're very rich. They've got loads of money. You know what good your money and power is going to do you when the apocalypse comes? Not a None. lot. Not a lot at all. Yeah. It makes no sense to me. Yeah. Um, and, you know, everyone at Wolfram and Hart is, is evil or coded as evil, but it's still mm-hmm. really hard to watch the beast. Yeah. Slaughter them all. Yeah. But the beast, with the exception of sucking the life force out of the little girl, mm-hmm. it doesn't use magic. Yeah. It's it's just pure physical violence. Mm-hmm. And what the hell does it want? Yeah. So I started thinking about this and I was like, okay, I have no textual evidence for this mm-hmm. at all. I am not trying to prove this. It's just a story idea. Yeah. Everyone thinks the beast is connected to Connor. But maybe the beast came from the portal that Fred opened to get her revenge on Professor Seidel. Or that act somehow helped him reach the spot where Connor was born because Uh Fred was there and so was Gunn. And the beast killed everybody else with bloodshed, you know, claws and Mm -hmm. blood and death. But he snapped Gavin's neck the same way that Gunn snapped Professor Seidel's. Okay, see, there you go. Had you had this whole thing with Professor Seidel open up this space because of the portal, you know, then you have something that they did that directly brought this about, you know, and that would kind of give you a sense that this is the consequence, right? Because with everything you do, there has to be consequence. And for Professor Seidel, I mean, I'm not going to, you can't spoil what doesn't happen. Like that's pretty much the only consequence of that is that, you know, Fred and Gunn are having issues kind of dealing with the aftermath of that. Mm -hmm. But, um, but being able to kind of like bring that, like that would have been great to kind of like pull that together and have it be something that Fred and Gunn did that is bringing about, you know, like more of this stuff, you know, through the portal, you throw one thing in something else comes out. Yep. And it would add so much more weight. Like if Connor believed it was his fault, Mm -hmm. but it's actually Fred and Gunn's fault that Connor had had really also been awful to them. Mm -hmm. Like his, his weight of responsibility, like you could have done so much with that. You could have really, yeah. Narratively. And it would have made sense in the story. Like, why would we have this beast that nobody knew, knows about? Well, it's because of what Fred and Gunn did. Right. And then it would fit. Uh-huh. So, I, like I said, there's no textual evidence to support that, but it makes sense to me, and I like mm-hmm. it better than this nonsense that we're getting. Right. So I'm just throwing it out there as a theory. No, <laughs> I, think it's, I think it's interesting. I think it's something they could have done to, like, anchor all of this stuff in something. Yeah. You yeah. know, yeah. And, and so then I started wondering about Wolfram and Hart's eternal employee clause. <laughs> so <laughs> when Darla killed Holland Manners, he went right on working for Wolfram and Hart, right? Yes. In his still dead state. Right. He didn't turn into a vampire. He was he was still him, just dead. Right. But Gavin, who's not as high up as Lila, but he's pretty high up. You know, he's he's on up mm-hmm. there on the corporate ladder at Wolfram and Hart. Yeah. He got turned into a zombie. Right. So did that zombie power outweigh even the Wolfram and Hart contract? I guess maybe. You know, and I don't know, like Holland Manners was like a, you know, high up partner. So maybe it's like people at like Lila's level and above that have to sign in blood for the whole the whole shebang, you know, so to speak. Um, But yeah, I don't know. It's kind of interesting. It was kind of interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, you know, the little girl in the white room. Mm -hmm. So to me, like that beast kneeling over her is one of the creepiest things. Oh, yeah. That we see in the show, you know, in the Mm -hmm. show. And he's pulling that black smoke from her. 
Um, and then she saves, you know, Angel and company. So is all of Wolfram and Hart not evil? Or was that little girl not evil? Like, why would she save them? Yeah, I don't know. Mm-hmm. With her dying breath. Yeah. Why? I mean, I guess to fight the thing that killed her, like she took it personally. And she's like, well, these guys can maybe, you know, give him some pain. And that's what it was. Maybe. I, but they want the apocalypse. Like, right? this is what they want. They want the beast to come in and turn everything to fire. This is their end game. Yeah. So why is that an issue? And if Hall and Manners lives on after being killed, I imagine that whatever it is that is dressing up as this evil Red Riding Hood would also go on in some form, you know? Um, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. So it just raises good questions. Um, and then mm-hmm. I have a story question. Yes. So, like, the violence and bloodshed and death in this episode pushes right at my threshold for Mm -hmm. violence and bloodshed and death. But I didn't stake it because it seemed to serve a narrative purpose, Mm -hmm. right? Because this beast, for reasons yet to be determined, was after the little girl in the white room and he killed everybody, destroyed Wolfram and Hart, and they pulled no visual punches in demonstrating that violence. Yeah. So... Do you think it was violence for the sake of visual violence or was it necessary to carry the narrative weight of the beast? I think it was that. I think we needed to impress upon everybody that despite the ba- the fact that the beast routinely leaves all of our heroes alive, you know, <laughs> I mean, beaten up and bloody, but alive and kills everybody else, right? That we have to really impress like how evil and bad this beast is. Yeah. I don't think it's effective, because he's still a big rock with horns, you know, like <laughs> he's still he's just a brute. It's he's just muscle, you know, like there's nothing. And he pulls the magic out of the the girl. But also, we don't know what the consequence of that is. Right. Like, what does that do to him? What is it that happens because he pulled this power out of this, you know, evil Red Riding Hood? Like, what is that? Yeah. So. Yeah, it doesn't really make sense. I understand the narrative weight of it and destroying Wolfram and Hart does something in that these are the these are the villains that we've been fighting for the whole run of the series. Like they're mm-hmm. a big deal. The senior partners are a big deal, you know? And yet this beast can come in and overpower even them. Um but now we've removed this antagonist that has been a huge part of the whole story of Angel up until now and replaced it with a big rock with horns. <laughs> yeah, it feels like it's supposed to be a game changer, but it just doesn't make sense. It's, no, it really doesn't. Yeah. So on that, I'll brood. Okay. Habeas Corpses is a violent, confusing, twisted episode, <laughs> but it's a watcher because Wolfram and Hart is well and properly destroyed by the devil demon beast. Gavin mm-hmm. dies, Lila almost dies, but escapes, and the little girl in the white room dies, we think, but she saves Angel, Connor, Wesley, Fred, and Gunn from the beast. Angel knows about Cordelia and Connor, and unfortunately, so do we, and Brain Beach <laughs> does not yet exist, so we have to live with it. Connor knows he's connected to the beast, but no one knows why the beast is there or what it wants, mm-hmm. but whatever it is, just like the grossness with Cordelia and Connor, I don't think it's going to end well. All right, so Dr. Jones, what's making you thirsty this week? Lila Morgan giving research orders for the apocalypse like the dark, badass, (laughs) soulless lawyer she is. When she said, get me an incident report cross-referenced by region, socioeconomic background, and species, I was like, hey, girl, hey. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, 
Now tell me, sugar, do you have citations in there? Oh my God! Oh Lord, have mercy! <laughs> yes, <love> honey. <laughs> <laughs> And also Wesley with two pistols shooting the beast like oh the my dark God. badass rogue demon hunter that oh he is. Oh my <laughs> God. I know. I watched that and I was like, hey, Wesley. <laughs> All right, Kelly, what is your favorite part? Oh, Lila going to check on Wesley at his yeah. place in the beginning and then Wesley going to save her. Um, mm-hmm. Tied with the little girl in the white room sending Angel and the team home because I want to know what the hell it means. I know. It is so weird. It is so weird. Well, for me, it's when Angel trosses the crossbow to Wesley. Yeah. It's just that that is, you know, for them, that is their love language. Here is a weapon. This is how I express my love to you. (laughs) By inviting you in and giving you a weapon with which you can, you know, help me fight a demon or evil or whatever. (laughs) I love Wesley being brought back into the fold. I love when he's holding Gun while Gun is knocked out and bleeding. I just like... All of that. It's just so great. It was really great. To join in the discussion on Twitter, follow me at Lonnie Dine Rich and Kelly at Dr. Kelly Jones and use the hashtag still dead. Or you can support Shippers Media to the tune of a dollar a month or more and gain access to the live chat and discord where you can hang out with me and Lonnie and all the Shippers patrons whose theories all deserve attention. <laughs> Visit <laughs> patreon.com slash to find out more. You can also show your support for Still Dead by telling your friends about us, talking about the show on social media, or by going to Apple Podcasts and giving us a rave review. And to say thanks to our rogue demon hunters who take the time to write reviews, we return to the Prophecy Scrolls. Post your five-soul review and you'll hear your prophecy soon. For Deus 82, the powers that be have called on you, dear one, to help write a new Angel Good Omens mashup spinoff show, (laughs) Angel of the Bottomless Pit where every episode reimagines the apocalypse as a fairy tale without zombies or amnesia or incest of any kind. Season 1 includes Oz the Big Bad Wolf, an evil riding hood, Cordy Rella and the Prince of Darkness, Beauty and the Great Beast that is called Dragon, Hansel, Gretel, Gun, and Fred, Rapunzel, Destroyer of Kings, and Snow White and Fifty Shades of the Powers that Be Grey at Best. Your job is to weave a prophecy, a rogue demon hunter, an insult vampire, a sexy soulless lawyer, and a karaoke bar into each episode. Bonus points for working in Fate, Spike, and Gwen, because hey, the world is burning, but we're still thirsty. And we need you to start Apocalypse Now with Sugar, because the sky is on fire and nothing can save us but the power of story. Oh, that's fantastic. All right, as we announced last week, due to producing Welcome to the End Times about the book and TV show Good Omens Still Dead will be going on temporary hiatus, returning July 16th with two watchers from season four, episodes nine and ten, Long Day's Journey and Awakening. Until then, who are you more afraid of? A giant murderous demon or us? All right. So, Dr. Jones, this is the spoiler part of the discussion. So, again, anybody who does not want to hear about what's coming, go ahead and turn off your podcast machine now and skip to whatever else you've got on there. Pod Save America, still pretty. I don't even know. (laughs) Um, Whatever else you've got to listen to, go ahead and listen to that because we're going to talk about like the rest of this season. Okay, I have watched this season a number of times. And at the end of it, 
I never understand what happened. None of it makes sense to me. At this point, we are being completely dishonest. The The writers are, are lying to the audience, making us think that this is supposed to be Cordy, when clearly it's not Cordy, but they haven't given us any textual evidence, any hints that she's not Cordy. Um, and, uh, and it's really terrible because at this point, like she's not, like when she came back from being a higher being, she was no longer Cordy at that point, no, right? she was still Cordy. So she was yeah. still Cordy when she, she came was back. Cordy. When did she not become okay, Cordy? So I can explain it in terms of I can tell you the facts. I can't explain yeah. it in terms of this is going to make any hell of sense because it's just right. Mm-hmm. But apparently, mm-hmm. when she was made a higher being, all of that was part of Jasmine's strategy plan. She mm-hmm. needed to get Cordy up there so she could piggyback on Cordy on her way back. So at, okay. when Cordy first comes back without her memory, Jasmine is sleeping inside of her, but Cordy is still Cordy because okay. Jasmine is like disoriented from the descent or whatever. <laughs> right. She's got she's, the bends, yeah, right? I mean, yeah. you know, jet lag, man, it happens. <laughs> um, sure. But yeah. when they do the memory spell and Lauren mm-hmm. gives the memories back to Cordelia, that wakes Jasmine up. And that's okay. why we see Cordelia have that vision of the beast. Wait, so if if Lorne hadn't gotten that memory spell, because the thing is, like, part of this whole thing is that they're like, oh, Jasmine has been puppeteering this whole thing for the, like, since the beginning of time and, like, all this kind of stuff, right? Like, she's, you know, we have her reaching back through so oh, much, yeah. you know, to be manipulating all of this stuff to make it happen. So what was her plan? How She came back as Cordy. How did she know that Lorne was going to do this one spell and make that happen? Well, because apparently like manipulating people or knowing the choices that they would make or setting them up as mm-hmm. part of Jasmine's power. So uh, the theory okay. is. J- so she set that up, she ahead, set that of up time. ahead of time. So Jasmine was like a rogue member of the powers that be who wants to mm-hmm. rule the world. So actually the portal that sent Lorne from Pylea to earth in the first place was of her mm-hmm. doing. Like she's okay. been working things that far. When mm-hmm. Cordy became a vessel for the powers that be through the visions, that opened up her potential to become a vessel for Jasmine. Mm-hmm. Um, Angel and Darla sleeping together with with that life credit that was hanging over Darla mm-hmm. when he tried to save her and it didn't go as planned. Oh, life, yeah. That yeah. opened mm-hmm. up the space for Connor. And apparently mm-hmm. the rules for Jasmine were that she could only be fathered by the child of an impossible birth. So that's, I mean, and again, mm-hmm. I'm not saying that any of this makes sense. It's just how the story is supposed to run. It's how they've, it's how they set up the explanation for all of this nonsense. Exactly. Yeah. So mm-hmm. in, in one sense, it comes down to choices because Angel mm-hmm. and Norla chose to sleep together in some, you know, Connor made the terrible choice to, to help kill that girl and bring Jasmine forth. Mm-hmm. But in some ways, it's supposed to be bigger than them. And it and if you want the answers to this, you can skip ahead to season four, episode 17, Inside Out. And they do mm-hmm. actually raise the philosophical question. Are we, do yeah. we have free will or are, are we pawns? And I think you mm-hmm. see like a combination of those two ideas here leaning much more heavily toward we were just all pawns in Jasmine's game this whole time. But Skip was her little yes, helper. Skip was Jasmine's right? man, which was why he was assigned to Cordelia as her guide. 
But why did he tell Cordelia and try to get Cordelia to uh, live in the alternate universe in which she wouldn't be a demon? She wouldn't because she had to go there in order for Jasmine to piggyback back. That was the only way to get Jasmine to Earth. No, that's when she goes up to be a higher being. But like before when when she became half demon, when she became like a a TV star, um, because they needed her to make that choice to become part demon, because that was the only way she could be the vessel for jasmine mm-hmm. yeah all of yeah, that's it's terrible. All terrible it is really terrible and it doesn't make nope. any sense at all and the thing that's really difficult for me when we're doing these discussions without spoilers like the writers are lying to mm-hmm. the audience so i feel like i'm being co-opted into that because in order to not spoil i have to pretend like this stuff is actually happening the way that it's presented it's very difficult it, for it me. is me too i don't like lying no, to people I, I and i feel like i have to lie in order not to spoil it it's, it's really hard bad. not to not to yeah. say hey mm-hmm. the writers are just lying here um be- well i mean we did say they were lying yeah, so at least we did. We but, that, but because it's know? a violation of the writer reader contract right yes and like, it is there are some clues like you can say okay there was that flash of the demon so obviously something's going on in cordy except we see corny have visions right. all the time we yeah. can see mm-hmm. the way that she's manipulating angel and connor mm-hmm. but there's no explanation right. for that so if you're right. just trusting the writers i mean you're they're just literally lying and they're not mm-hmm. you can't solve this as a mystery this is not an agatha christie mm-hmm. clue thing if you go back yeah. and watch it, it doesn't make sense until you get to the no. future episodes, you know. Well, yeah. And then they have to super explain everything and like, but this is how this happened. Right. And this is why that happened. It's like they're looking at all the plot holes and they're just spackling yeah. over them with Jasmine. It's so bad. You know, it's does so this not bad. make sense? Jasmine right. did it. Exactly. You know? And it's so all terrible. All those plot holes mm-hmm. that we've had to this point, it's just Jasmine. It's just, it's just Jasmine. Yeah, I mean, it was, it's so <laughs> bad. It's so, so, so bad. It is. It is. It's so bad. But thank you, everybody, who has been hanging out with us for this spoiler chat. We just wanted to acknowledge that, yeah, it's all crazy nonsense. And <laughs> I mean, if I've got to have an apocalypse, I want an apocalypse that makes sense. Damn it. Yes, exactly. <laughs> That's all I ask. Is that too much? <laughs> yeah. All right, everybody, thank you so much. We will see you again on July 16th when we return. 